0: My Lord oh what a testimony my Lord mm. y'all got Jesus blushing around here you look at him square in the eye and tell him you are the center of my joy all that makes me who I am emanates from you you're the center Of my joy, my Lord. If you don't think that pleases the Lord, (laughs) then you don't know Because all he ever wanted was a relationship with you. For you to make him the center. Now that's a a statement that everybody can't sing. Because it wouldn't be true. But if you made him the center of your joy, my Lord. What an awesome life you have. Bless you. We got to come up with a name for y'all. Yeah. 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 Not the, I don't know. We're going to come up with something. (laughs) Yes. (laughs) So we had Glory. I told Karen we should have made that one of the questions for Cahoots, which is. Been so long. What is the name of the mass choir? You would have got that one. And what is the name of the uh, a youth ensemble? Amara. Yeah. They do. Amara. Amara. Yeah, 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 yeah. That would have been a good one. We should, I, listen. I, we can still put it on there. <laughs> It'll probably be all right. <laughs> I don't think you'll see it today. <laughs> just, uh, what a great, great time we have when we come in here. You. Have you ever just had a good time in church? Yeah. Just, just a good time. I mean, just leave smiling. In fact, don't want to leave. It. It's it been that good until you filled you up. And spiritually, you got what you needed. But then, from a social standpoint as well, there's some things that can't happen from church. I mean, from virtual. We can preach to you, we can sing to you, but there's some hugging and some loving and some touching and, and just being in your presence. That's what we're missing. And it's also oh essential. Also oh essential. And so I'm praying, please do what you need to do. Stay safe even after you take this vaccination make sure you wear your mask that's important don't start don't start going naked and on the shame after you take your vaccination now all right make sure you stay okay still social distance and wash your hands we'll get there but just not yet we've been in a sermon series for the last three weeks Entitled, This Is Us, we've been talking about the family. And I personally think that it's been a rich series. We have worked our way through the, the, the sermons and in fact, we've been trying to hit different aspects of the family. One of the things that we've noted, Deacon Barrett is that there are no perfect families, none. So we're not talking about perfect families. They don't exist. They don't exist in the Bible. They don't exist in history. They don't exist anywhere. And that's why we wanted to get real. That's why we started out talking about my real-life family. This is who I got for real. Yeah. My real-life family. Yeah. That's, that's who, who I got. I, I didn't pick them, but I love them. And if you don't, let's deal with them. Yeah. It's the one I got for real. And after we left our, me and my real family, we moved on to a deeper topic, and that was even good parents do things that are bad. So we talking about the worst things that even good parents do. Yeah. Because we all make mistakes. The test of parenting is when your children become adults. That's the test. Yeah, some fare better than others. Sometimes that's your fault. Sometimes it's because of their choices. Yeah, but the test, if you put enough good in them, I'm a firm believer that it'll spill out, even in tough circumstances. Today we want to move to another one, because we talked about the family unit. But the family, like I said before, is full of dysfunction. I mean, just go through, you know. Adam and Eve weren't out to shoot long before the, the family was messed up. Uh, Noah had substance abuse problems and, and didn't have a problem uh, being naked and unashamed in front, of his, in front of his family. This is what the scripture says. Yeah, Abraham lied about his wife being his wife. There's dysfunction all along the way. Job was the epitome of faith. But he married a woman who was not equally yoked with him. He married a woman who did not have the same spiritual level of maturity than he did. So when times got tough, when he needed her to be undergirding him in prayer, she was instead suggesting to him that he curse God and die. That's dysfunction. Jacob was a pathological deceiver. Throughout his whole life, he had episodes where he was, let's just say, not tied to the truth. And he married a woman named Rachel, who while she was the most beautiful woman he had ever seen, she was a kleptomaniac, stealing from her daddy. Reuben, Jacob's eldest son, slept with his father's mistress. Now, you put all that together. The whole lot of wrong in that family going on. Moses had a temper problem. His sister Miriam was jealous, and his brother Aaron was so weak-willed that he let the whole tribe run over him. Everybody's got issues going on in their family. Samson loved women so much that he was willing to give up his most precious gift. Eli was a priest called to the Lord's House to work, but he was a horrible parent and he let his children run over him. Not only did they run over him, they ran over the people who came to worship at the temple and they took advantage of them and they stole from them. Yeah, Eli couldn't run God's house because people didn't respect him like that. He couldn't run his own house. King David, you know him, the man after God's own heart. Man chosen by God anointed by his servant, loved women so much that he was willing to kill for, and he did. And all of that spread down into his own family. His one, he had one son uh, from a marriage who raped his half-sister. Another one murdered him. I'm talking about dysfunction of epic dimensions. Epic dimensions. Even the prophets that we had. They struggle with broken families. Why am I saying all this to you? Because I want you to understand that the stuff that goes on in your family is just like the stuff that goes on in other folks' families. When you look out there, we live in a world where people project the best of their reality instead of the rest of their reality. And when you project the best, it does not give context to what people are living in. And people are living in tough times, Richard. And I believe we could get a whole lot more help if we just told the truth sometime. And so today, today, in this series, we want to move to a subject um, that's probably going to shock some of you, all right, since we're talking about families. Um, But I want to encourage you. And there's always, in my opinion, a group in the family dynamic that's not talked about, that's not discussed. Um, There's always a group that seems to be overlooked. But since our purpose is to give everybody joy, everybody includes everybody, today I want to talk about some single people, single people. And I've got a scripture that I believe is going to help us with that. It comes from the Acts of the Apostles, Chapter 8. Yeah, i want to talk about single people. Some people give up when they're single in the family, they, they, they're adults, they don't have any children, they don't see any hope or don't see any immediate possibility of expanding the family that they have. When they throw up their hands and they get frustrated, when they say to themselves, there's nothing I can do that's going to make things better or any different. But can I tell you this, even if you're single, you can make your family better. And the reason you can make your family better is because you can get better. And the more, the more you make yourself better, the better your relationship becomes with your family. God didn't just, write, didn't just write directions for married people. While he did set out a pattern, he loves everybody. If you're a parent or a grandparent, yeah, you got problems with your siblings or your in-laws, which is not unusual. All these relationships can be improved with God's help. So we're going to close out this, seri- this series, This Is Us, by talking about somebody in the Bible that you probably never would have thought we'd gone to. And we want to talk about, uh, we, want to, we want to use as a central thought if we have to, I feel like a misfit. I feel like a misfit. Let me read this scripture for you. Acts of the Apostles, chapter 8, starting at verse 26. The word of God reads, as for Philip, an angel of the Lord said to him, go south down the road, desert road, that runs from Jerusalem to Gaza. So he started out and he met the treasurer of Ethiopia a eunuch, a great authority under the kandake, the queen of Ethiopia. The eunuch had gone to Jerusalem to worship, and he was now returning. Seated in his carriage, he was reading aloud from the book of the prophet Isaiah. The Holy Spirit said to Philip, go over and walk along beside the carriage. Philip ran over and heard the man reading from the prophet Isaiah. Philip asked, do you understand what you're reading? And the man replied, how can I unless someone instructs me? And he urged Philip to come up into the carriage and sit with him. The passage of scripture he had been reading was this, he was like a sheep. He, I'm sorry, he was led like a sheep to the slaughter. And as a lamb is silent before the shearers, he did not open his mouth. He was humiliated and received no justice. Who can speak of his descendants? For his life was taken from earth. The eunuch said, uh, asked Philip, tell me was the prophet talking about himself or someone else? Verse 35, so beginning with this same scripture, Underline this, Philip told him the good news about Jesus. Thirty-six, as they rode along, they came to some water, and the eunuch said, look, there's some water. Why can't I be baptized? Some versions also add in that scripture, you can if you believe with all your heart, that was said by Philip. Thirty-eight says, he ordered the carriage to stop They went down into the water. Philip baptized him. When they came up out of the water, the Spirit of the Lord, the Spirit of the Lord, here's a miracle, snatched Philip away. And the eunuch never saw him again, but went on his way rejoicing. Somebody ought to say, Amen. There's a whole lot going on in this passage of Scripture. I feel like a misfit. Why in the world would God take out and paint a portrait of a man, black man, perfect for black history, Month? This eunuch had to be black. How do I know that? Because he was the treasurer of the queen of Ethiopia. Yeah. You can have a whole lot of things in Ethiopia, but what you're going to find abundantly is black folk. All right? Run by black folk. But not only was he the treasurer, he was wealthy in and of himself. And so why do we pull this story that God has planted here for us of this single man to close out our families? The Bible says that this man was a eunuch. Does anybody even know what that is today? It's not a word we use today. It's not a word that any man ever wants to have said about him because it means he would have been castrated. And this man had, in fact, been castrated. No delicate way to say that. No pleasant way to say that. They don't do it for your benefit. The reason why in ancient cultures they took away a man's ability to produce testosterone or his ability to procreate is because they wanted him fit for service. So in other words, they rearranged his physiology, his biology, so that he could work in a particular occupation. And in this instance, he was going to work in the palace for the queen. And they didn't want any physical distractions. They wanted him to be focused on his job. No doubt, he was good at what he was doing and trusted by the queen because he was allowed to leave and go on journeys by himself with his own entourage as he had done. And of all the things that this man could have done, it was his fervent desire to leave and go, leave Ethiopia and go to Jerusalem so that he could worship in the temple of David, have mercy. And so he does. The Bible says, though, at the place that we come into the scripture, he's returning from his visit. Stick a pen in that, And so the question is, would God have a place at the table for someone like him? Would God prepare a place for this man, even though the scripture tells us clearly it's his fervent desire to know more about God and the things of God. He wants to know what it is to be in relationship with him. He's never going to have a family, never. He's not going to marry, and so why is it? He can't have biological children. I want to stand here and say that doesn't mean he can't have children. We have other options available for us today. There were other options available then, but I don't know if they were available for a unit. And so the question is, does he have a place in the kingdom, because you might not sit there and ask that question, but he did, which is why he took his resources and went on a journey. He wanted to know, can I have a relationship with the Lord? And you might not know it, but somebody in your house might be asking the same question. We don't use the term eunuch today. In fact, we don't use anything that's that's awful like that. Eunuch wasn't just a term they used, eunuch was how they treated them too. Oh, yeah, these people who were turned into eunuchs were despised. They were treated miserably. In fact, I would dare say to you that only because of his position and his privilege was he able to avoid some of it and move about freely. But then the first point I want to make for you out of this story about this eunuch who is even nameless, and that's good, Because he could be any person who feels like they're a misfit. The first thing is different. The word different doesn't have the same meaning to God as it does to man. The word different doesn't have the same meaning to God as it does to man. We read the word different as worthless, meaning can't be in my family. That's how we read the word. God reads the word different as worth saving me, not in my family. In other words, you're different to God because you're not with me. But I'm sending someone who can save you. Why? Because according to Scripture, Acts 10 and 34b says, God shows no favoritism. So all of those parameters that man sets around other men, God doesn't use those definitions and rules. God says either you're in my family or you're not in my family. The difference is either you are or you aren't. But man wants to take it a different route and say, you're not worthy to be in my family. That's why I'm glad I'm depending on the Lord. The Lord's definition of worthy includes whosoever will and allows me to come and to be a part of his family. Eunuch was horrible. Horrible, the term. Ancient Greek writer called them freaks. Freaks. According to the book Flawed Families of the Bible, royalty could safely promote them to a higher level of responsibility because they posed no threat of having children who might later come and make a claim on the throne. But that was small consolation to the person who had been castrated. Injury was added to insult I'm sorry, insult was added to injury because eunuchs were despised and derided in the ancient world as being effeminate or forever betrayed by their beardless faces and high-pitched voices. Because of that, man didn't respect them and women didn't trust them. They were forever in a no man's land. Now the only reason I'm bringing this up is because I want you to imagine for a second how isolated and humiliated eunuchs were back in those days. It's not just those days, it's these days too. Not even uh, uh, rising to the the rank of being the treasurer to the king, I mean to the queen would isolate you from those feelings of misery from those feelings of, of isolation, from those desires to want to have your own family, your own bu- people who love you. This man was miserable and so much so that he was willing to take all his belongings and travel to a distant land to learn of a God who said whosoever will. That's how much he was willing to do. Here's a single man who would never have the traditional family. But God intentionally gives us his story. Watch this now. I don't want you to lose sight of the fact that God is intentionally directing us to someone who does not fit the norm. Because he wants us to understand how inclusive his love is. He wants us to stop making Christianity and, and, and the faith an exclusive club. It's for everybody, anybody. Those who are deemed to be worthless by man are worthwhile to God. And that's why this story is in scripture in the first place. God handpicked a preacher to send to this questioning, wondering unit to deliver the word of God to him specifically. What is it about this man that's so different than others? I I bet, I bet, I hope you understand that God understands, that God appreciates individuals, because there's some people here who I believe have the syndrome that this man had. The syndrome is people who feel like, today we wouldn't say eunuch, we would say I feel like a square peg in a round hole. And there are so many people who think they are in a round hole family. But they feel like the square peg in the family. Oh, you don't have to go to Unix. You don't have to go to anything like that. It can be that everybody else in the family is tall. And for some reason, I got the recessive gene and it made me short. It could be that everybody else in the family can sing. And I can't carry a note in the bucket. It can be that everybody else in the family is thin. And for some other reason, some reason I'm the one that's got the weight that came back from two generations. It can be that everybody else in the family made the honor roll. And I was never able to get past a B-plus on anything, and was happy to get that. There are so many reasons that people feel like square pegs in round hole families. And, and, and I, I'm here to say this. I bet I'll give you this, that there are more people who feel like square pegs around whole families than not. That they represent the majority. It doesn't matter if they come to a, come into a family with 15 members in it. They still feel like they're by themselves. And that they never truly fit in. It doesn't matter the rank of their birth. doesn't matter if they're the first or the youngest. doesn't matter if they're the knee baby, as we said. They simply feel like. They don't belong. Maybe some circumstances in life came about and you happen to be involved in those circumstances through no fault of your own and your family will never let you live down that you were a part of those circumstances and because of that, you always feel like an outcast. Whenever there's a family gathering, you hate to go because 50 years later, they still bring it up every single time you get together and there's nothing you can do about it. And because of that, you feel different. I feel like a misfit. And nobody ever stopped in the process of all of this, of this joking and having fun to consider how it might impact you along the way. No, no, nobody ever stopped to embrace you or to defend you. It simply became the family way that you talk about these things. And because of that, you start staying away from the family. Can you imagine how lonely it must have been? In a palace of opulence, this man walked around the corridors of wealth. He was acknowledged as being in the position but of having no worth. He was acknowledged of being rich. He could buy whatever he wanted. How do I know this? Walk with me on this. The Bible says he's riding alone in the carriage reading the prophet Isaiah, which means he had, Mason, purchased a scroll which would have cost him an enormous amount of money at that time because he would have probably had one of the original texts. He has bought a scroll to read and he doesn't understand what he's reading. Let's go a little bit deep on this. He's riding along after having gone to the temple. The writer Luke was deliberate in telling us the story after he comes back from the temple. You know why? Because many historians say that when he got to the temple, he would have been forbidden to come in as a unit. They would not have allowed him, which means he would have made this, this trip of many, many, many days to get there only to be turned around at the door. And because He was turned around at the door. He has no idea what's happening there. One one, one preacher described it like this. It's like getting ready, getting dressed up to go to a church service, and when you get to the church service, they turn you around at the door. So you go in the parking lot and start asking folk for the order of service so you can know what's going on. That's his hunger. He wants to know so bad. Show me what happened on there. I want to know what's happening in the temple, but because he's a misfit, He's not allowed to go in now. There was a physical barrier to him going in. They didn't allow eunuchs in because of their law. There was a spiritual barrier. They thought eunuchs were unclean. Remember what I said now. Man thinks you're worth less. You're worth less, and so they didn't think. They didn't think he was fit. To come into the temple of God, even though Jesus Christ came for whosoever will, he wasn't included in the who. whosoever will. And so he gets turned around at the door physically, spiritually, emotionally, he's devastated. He goes back to his carriage and can only console himself by reading aloud. Come on, God. He may not come when you want him. But he'll be there right on time, right on time, I'm riding down the avenue and I'm reading aloud what I couldn't hear read in the temple. I'm reading it to myself because, thanks God, thank God I have the ability to do that. And God has divinely appointed one of his own servants, who happened to be named Philip, to meet me on the way. And Philip comes by and hears him reading aloud the prophet Isaiah. You're going to shout in a minute when I tell you what he was reading. Read aloud the prophet Isaiah. And Philip asked him, do you even know what you're reading? You can tell when somebody don't know what they're reading. They don't put the emphasis on the right words and they don't understand. But it wasn't even a secret to this eunuch because he said, come in and tell me. He wasn't too ashamed to ask for help. Therein lies another problem. Some people take for granted what other people struggle to get. Oh yeah, oh yeah, some people complain because all their lives they've been dragged to church. They've been drugged to church. They've been put in a situation where they had to get the Word of God, that same Word of God that you now embrace and love. But how many other sermons could have enriched your life if you had paid attention? I, I, I stand here to tell you, I spent many wasted days in church not paying attention to what that preacher was saying. Many wasted days, and I, I sit back sometimes, sometimes when I'm in sermon preparation, and I wonder, did I ever hear my pastor hear it, preach this sermon? And I can't remember. That's just the nature of the Lord, But I remember—I mean of life, but I remember all the things I've gone through in life, and I wonder how much more uh, uh, confidence I would have. I wonder how many more, how many, how many less sleepless nights I would have had if I had simply embraced the messages that were being given to me at that time. Taken for granted that I would always have the ability to do it. Taken for granted that I'd always have a Bible. I bet if you go to your house right now you can't count the number of Bibles you can find in it. Everywhere, all those little New Testaments that you pick up when you go somewhere probably got them stacked somewhere. Bibles you inherited from your family, you go clean out the house, they got two, three Bibles in there, you bring them to the house we got more Bibles than we'll ever pick up and look at and yet we don't read them enough. We take for granted what other folk can't have. This man has spent his hard-earned money to get a copy of the scripture and he didn't even understand it when he was reading it. We take for granted what other folks struggle to get. Look, he'd been banned from the temple, but he hadn't been banned from learning. Man has stopped him, but God has seen him. God saw his need before he even got to the point of having that need because, watch this, before he was turned away from the temple, God had already dispatched Philip to meet him on the road. You ought to know this, God knows where you're going and where you're going to be, and God had already assigned him, you don't hear me, a personal preacher. A personal preacher to come and to deliver the word directly to him. If God is not saying to this eunuch, I want you, then I don't know what other message you can get from this. Man barred him from the temple and God set up his own private revival, his own worship service. Man stopped him and God lifted him and sent him a preacher. I've recently heard that there are some people in Muslim countries who cannot, who are not supposed to have Christian Bibles. They will spend a month's wages to purchase an old, ragged Bible so they can have their own. We take for granted what other people struggle to obtain. Not only that, some people hurt out loud while others suffer in silence." This man riding aloud along in his chariot, can you hear me? He's reading the scripture, you know what he's saying? I need, he's hurting out loud. He's hurting out loud. He wants the word of God in him so much that he puts it in the air. He voices it and it does not return void. Watch this now. The word will not return void. He puts it in the air. And as he's saying the words from the prophet, the word returns to him in the form of a preacher and context. Philip just listens to him. And Philip can hear the hurt. Philip can hear as he's reading Isaiah. He can hear the scorn he can hear the disparaging words that are coming through this man's mouth. And I wonder, do you pay attention to people and what they're going through? Do you understand that not everybody's gonna have the strength to voice their pain out loud like this man did by reading the scripture? Sometimes their silence is screaming at you that they're going through something. But do you pay attention to them? Everybody is not going to reveal their pain through talking. But that doesn't mean they're not hurting and screaming for somebody to say to them, you matter. The church has been ignorant when it comes to dealing with people who don't make a lot of noise. We have not gone to the one who is silently suffering. We usually give the grease to the squeaky wheel. But can I tell you, there's a whole generation of young folk struggling, suffering, suffering because they want to belong. They want to know that not only God loves them, but they are loved. They feel in this family like round pegs, like square pegs in round hole. They, they feel like the church is a round hole family. And they feel like a square peg when they come in. And we don't do anything to invite them and make them feel any better. We don't embrace them and their differences. We always try to make them homogenous. We always try to make them blend in and be who we are as opposed to allow them to be who they are. Can I tell you, God made round, he made square, he made triangle, he made rectangular, he made octagonal, he made every kind of peg for his world. How much would we have in life if everybody was the same thing? You call round one thing and square another, you put definitions on the types of square, of pegs that people are, and you put worth on them. And can I tell you today, God loves us all the same because I read to you before, God shows no favoritism. Some people are struggling wherever they are. We don't ever see them, but they're struggling. Watch this. I told you the scripture that he was reading when when Philip came along. And it's amazing to me that Philip came at that point. He was reading verses 7 and 8 of Isaiah aloud. But he probably had already read these verses aloud. There was nothing beautiful or majestic about his appearance, nothing to attract us to him, because he was despised and rejected, a man of sorrows who was acquainted with the deepest grief, See, somebody who was suffering in silence would understand and appreciate those verses. When you read about a Jesus who was also feeling like he was a square peg and a round whole family, then that's something that'll draw you to him. That's something that'll make you read even more. Watch this. The scripture continues, we turned our backs on him. And look the other way, he was despised and we did not care. That's something that'll get someone who's suffering in silence attention. And when you come into a church family and you know you're different, you know you're not like everybody else, it simply makes you feel like you're a misfit. And I got reason enough to believe that there are some other folk other than this eunuch who feel like misfits in their lives. Not just in your family, on your job you feel like a misfit. But Philip overheard him reading how he was treated because of his difference. Seven and eight says he was oppressed and treated harshly. Eunuch understood this. Yet he never said a word. He was led like a lamb to the slaughter. And a sheep is silent before his shearers, but he didn't open his mouth. Unjustly condemned, he was led away. No one cared that he died without descendants." This is exactly what this eunuch was reading about. This is what he was curious about. Whoever it was referring to, this eunuch identified with him. His affinity with the subject of this prophecy was reverberating in his silent, I mean, in his, in his aching heart. He was pouring his heart out while he was reading this scripture. He was suffering from the square pig in a round hole blues. And the Lord sent Philip to bring him a remedy for Just as he reaches the point, I believe, of exasperation, Philip is there. So this is the news I got for you. This is the word I got for you. When you find somebody who has been suffering in silence or even who's pouring their, their, their sorrows out loud, always be ready to share the good news with them. Are you strong enough in your faith? to find somebody struggling in that situation, and to give them the relief that comes from the Word of God, because all Philip did was come and do what God told him to do, and that is go in and tell him the good news of Jesus Christ. That's all you got to do. You don't have to come in and be the number one preacher, just tell the story. If you can tell the story, you can bring some relief to somebody. The story reads that immediately he understood that Philip was God's personal messenger, that God sent him. You thought you were just going into the store to pick up something for the house. You didn't realize that God had you go to that place at that time to meet that person who was struggling on that aisle and he needed you to tell him God is good and here's the good news about him. Just like God can design a special messenger. I love this about God, that God cared enough about this man that he sent a preacher down a dusty desert road. He had nowhere else to go, no other place to be but right there to bring the good news to this unit. And it said, so beginning with the same scripture, that he read. In other words, Philip knew scripture well enough to be able to pick it up and tie that back into Jesus Christ. What he said was, the one you're talking about is named Jesus. The one who suffered without opening his mouth, his name is Jesus. And he tied that to the ministry of Jesus Christ. The good news, is that, that same Jesus is in heaven right now, and he's available for everybody and anybody. And I know the eunuch was listening because right along the way he saw some water. And he said, if this same Jesus who came and who was baptized and who led his ministry went through that, surely I should be able to go through it and do it again. Can I tell you, Christ had a, he was odd in his family himself. And so he was the perfect vehicle. Perfect vehicle for this man to learn from. Christ's family, the one, remember the 12 that he selected? Oh, they, they were full of all sorts of folk. Yeah, full of all sorts of folk, and not just the 12, the others around him, followed him, were full of demon-possessed folk, full of lame, cripple, all these folk who were square pegs in round families, all these folk, were well, following Jesus Christ. In fact, he had more disaffected people around him than he did other kind of people. He didn't have the religious folk, he didn't have the temple-worshipping folk, he had all the folk that couldn't get in man's temple. They got in Jesus's family. And the Bible says that after he baptized this eunuch, the Spirit of God moved him, snatched Philip from that place such that the man never saw him again. You can't tell me God wasn't in charge of this salvation. scripture don't say it, but can I tell you this, if the man had kept reading, you need to hear me on this, if he had just kept reading down in that Isaiah, I wonder what you think he would have said when he got into the next chapter, when he, into chapter 56, when he got to verse three, when he said, don't forget the foreigners who commit themselves to the Lord's way. The Lord will never let me be part of his people. And don't let the eunuchs say, I'm a, I'm a dried up tree with no children and no future. And in verse 4 he says, for this is what the Lord said, I will bless those eunuchs who keep my Sabbath days holy and who choose to do what pleases me and commit their lives to me. I will give them within the walls of my house a memorial and a name for greater than sons and daughters could give. For the name I give to them is an everlasting one and it will never disappear. This man. Who went on this journey because he was suffering because he could never have a family of his own realize that through the Lord he could have a family that was bigger than other folks' families because when you become born again and you convince somebody else to receive the Lord you just birth a son or daughter in Christ. And he could go along and build his family every day. It might not have been a biological family, but it was better than a biological family because it was a forever family, a spiritual family. And that's what this eunuch did. He went along and he created his own family in the Lord. He felt like a misfit before he found the father. And now he's a perfect fit. Can I tell you, he's right there in the family of the Lord. Anyone who does God's will according to Jesus Christ is my brother or my sister. He found a big brother in Christ. He found a father in the Lord. And he found brothers and sisters all over the land as he went back. I can't tell you how many folk he converted when he got back to Ethiopia. I can't tell you how high his step was when he stepped back in that palace and he realized that his life wasn't dependent on them, he understood the scripture to say, greater is he who is in me than he who is in the world. Can I tell you, there's still some people walking around right here who's struggling with what will God have my future be? I strongly suggest you do this. Turn it over to the Lord and let him figure it out. He's already got it lined up for you. He's got somebody along the way to give you the joy and the understanding you need in every conceivable way. Being widowed, divorced, unmarried, unable to conceive a child does not prevent anybody from having a family. Marriage and children are not the only way to be blessed with a family. You can have a spiritual family that far surpasses any biological family. I came to tell you this too, nobody can stop you from being a part of God's family. And nobody can keep you from having a spiritual spiritual quiver full of arrows, but you need to first start with your own relationship with the Lord. Other people may have done some things to scar you. You may have been the victim of a lot of verbal, physical abuse. Your parents or your spouse may have deserted you. You may have gotten into some activities that have not done anything to make you better, but it doesn't end there. As long as you have breath in you, as long as you can say to the Lord, help me, I need you, bless me. He'll hear your plea, he'll hear you, and he'll send you the relief that you need, but you got to have courage enough to ask him for that. And so right now, if you've never been able to do it, now is the time. Today is the day for you to say, Lord, I'm okay with being a square pig in a round hole family as long as you're the one making the pigs. I want to be yours. And can I tell you, he's waiting on you. He loves you. He loves all the squareness in you. He loves every bit that he made you. But can I tell you this? He made you the square peg that you are, which is why he loves you if you're here today grab his hand. Walk with him. He'll love you forevermore. He'll rescue you and he'll take you back to heaven with him when that day comes. God bless you today. I love you and the Lord loves you too. All square peg of us, he loves every one of us. In Jesus' name we pray and we offer this to you. Amen.